0: Section thirty five of an essay concerning human understanding. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. An essay concerning human understanding by John Locke. Chapter twenty eight of Other Relations. Number one. Ideas of proportional relations. Besides the before-mentioned occasions of time, place, and causality of comparing or referring things one to another, there are, as I have said, infinite others, some whereof I shall mention. First, the first I shall name is some one simple idea, which being capable of parts or degrees, Affords an occasion of comparing the subjects wherein it is to one another in respect of that simple idea, for example, whiter, sweeter, equal, more, and so on. These relations, depending on the equality and excess of the simple idea in several subjects, may be called, if one will, proportional, and that these are only conversant about those simple ideas received from sensation or reflection is so evident that nothing need to be said to evince it number 2 natural relation secondly another occasion of comparing things together or considering one thing so as to include in that consideration some other thing is the circumstances of their origin or beginning which being not afterwards to be altered Make the relations depending thereon as lasting as the subjects to which they belong, for example, father and son, brothers, cousin Germans, and so on, which have their relations by one community of blood wherein they partake in several degrees, countrymen, that is, those who are born in the same country or tract of ground, and these I call natural relations, wherein we may observe that mankind have fitted their notions and words to the use of common life and not to the truth and extent of things for it is certain that in reality the relation is the same betwixt the bigotter and the begotten in the several races of other animals as well as man but yet it is seldom said this bull is the grandfather of such a calf or that pigeons are cousin germans it is very convenient that by distinct names their relations should be observed and marked out in mankind there being occasion both in laws and other communications one with another to mention and take notice of men under these relations from whence also rise the obligation of several duties amongst men whereas in brutes men having very little or no cause to mind these relations they have not thought fit to give them distinct and peculiar names. This, by the way, may give us some light into the different state and growth of languages, which being suited only to the convenience of communication, a proportion to the notions men have, and the commerce of thoughts familiar amongst them, and not to the reality or extent of things, nor to the various respects, might be found among them, nor the different abstract considerations might be framed about them. Where they had no philosophical notions, they had no terms to express them, and it is no wonder men should have framed no names for those things they found no vocation to discourse of. From whence it is easy to imagine why, as in some countries, they may have not so much as the name for a horse, and in others, where they are more careful of the pedigree of their horses than of their own, that that they may not have only names for particular horses but also of their several relations of kindred one to another. Number 3. Ideas of Instituted of Voluntary Relations Thirdly, sometimes the foundation of considering things with reference to one another is some act whereby anyone comes by a moral right, power or obligation to do something. Thus, a general is one that hath power to command an army, and an army, under a general, is a collection of armed men obliged to obey one man. A citizen, or a burgher, is one who has the right to certain privileges in this or that place. All this sort, depending upon men's wills or agreement in society, I call instituted or voluntary and may be distinguished from the natural in that they are most if not all of them some way or other alterable and separable from the persons to whom they have sometimes belonged though neither of the substances so related be destroyed now though these are all reciprocal as well as the rest and contain in them a reference of two things one to other yet because one of the two things often wants a relative name, importing that reference, men usually take no notice of it, and the relation is commonly overlooked. For example, a patron and a client are easily allowed to be relations, but a constable or dictator are not so readily at first hearing, considered as such, because there is no peculiar name for those who are under the command of a dictator or constable. Expressing a relation to either of them, though it be certain that either of them hath a certain power over some others, and is so far related to them as well as a patron is to his client, or general to his army. Number four. Ideas of moral relations. Fourthly, there is another sort of relation, which is the conformity or disagreement. Men's voluntary actions have to rule to which they are referred and by which they are judged of, which I think may be called moral relation, as being that which denominates our moral actions and deserves well to be examined, there being no part of knowledge wherein we should be more careful to get determined ideas and avoid as much as may be obscurity and confusion. Human actions when with their various ends objects manners and circumstances they are framed into a distinct complex ideas are as has been shown so many mixed modes a great part whereof have names annexed to them thus supposing gratitude to be a readiness to acknowledge unwritten kindness received polygamy to be the having more wives than one at once when we frame these notions thus in our minds We have there so many determined ideas of mixed modes, but this is not all that concerns our actions. It is not enough to have determined ideas of them, and to know what names belong to such and such combination of ideas. We have a further and greater concernment, and that is to know whether such actions so made up are morally good or bad. 5. Moral good and evil, good and evil, has hath been shown. Book 2, Chapter 20, Section 2, and Chapter 21, Section 43 Are nothing but pleasure or pain, or that which occasions or procures pleasure or pain to us. Moral good and evil, then, is only the conformity or disagreement of our voluntary actions to some law, whereby good or evil is drawn on us from the will and power of the law-maker which good and evil pleasure or pain attending our observance or breach of the law by the decree of law-maker is that we call reward and punishment number six moral rules of these moral rules or laws to which men generally refer and by which they judge of the rectitude or gravity of their actions there seem to me to be three sorts there are three different enforcements or rewards and punishments for since it would be utterly in vain to suppose a rule set to the free actions of men without annexing to it some enforcement of good and evil to determine his will we must wherever we suppose a law Suppose also some reward or punishment annexed to that law. It would be in vain for one intelligent being to set a rule to the actions of another, if he had it not in his power to reward the compliance with, and punish deviation from his rule, by some good and evil. That is not the natural product and consequences of the action itself. For that, being a natural convenience or inconvenience, would operate of itself without a law. This, if I mistake not, is the true nature of all law, properly so called. Number 7. Laws The laws that men generally refer their actions to, to judge of their rectitude or obliquity, seem to me to be these three. 1. The divine law. 2. The civil law. 3 the law of opinion or reputation if i may so call it by the relation they bear to the first of 3 men judge whether their actions are sins or duties by the second whether they be a criminal or innocent and by third whether they be virtues or vices number 8 divine law the measure of sin and duty first the divine law whereby that law which god has said to the actions of men whether promulgated to them by the light of nature or the voice of revelation that god has given a rule whereby men should govern themselves i think there is nobody so brutish as to deny he has a right to do it we are his creatures he has goodness and wisdom to direct our actions to that which is best and he has power to enforce it by rewards and punishments of infinite bite and duration in another life, for nobody can take us out of his hands. This is the only true touchstone of moral rectitude, and, by comparing them to this law, it is that men judge of the most considerable moral good or evil of their actions, That is, whether, as duties or sins, they are like to procure them happiness or misery from the hands of the Almighty. Number 9. Civil law, the measure of crimes and innocence. Secondly, the civil law, the rule set by the Commonwealth to the actions of those who belong to it, is another rule to which men refer their actions, to judge whether they be criminal or no. This law nobody overlooks. The rewards and punishments that enforce it being ready at hand and suitable to the power that makes it, which is the force of commonwealth, engaged to protect the lives, liberties, and possessions of those who live according to its law, and has power to take away life, liberty, or goods from him who disobeys, which is the punishment of offences committed against its law. Number ten. Philosophical law, the measure of virtue and vice. Thirdly, the Law of Opinion or Reputation, Virtue and Vice, are the names pretended and supposed everywhere to stand for actions in their own nature, right and wrong, and as far as they really are so applied, they so far are coincident with the Divine Law above mentioned. But yet, whatever is pretended, this is visible, that these names, Virtue and Vice, in the particular instances of their application, though the very nations and societies of men in the world are constantly attributed only to such actions as in each country and society are in reputation or discredit nor is it to be thought strange that men everywhere should give the name of virtue to those actions which amongst them are judged praiseworthy and call that vice which they account blamable since otherwise they would condemn themselves If they should think anything right to which they allowed not commendation, anything wrong which they let pass without blame. Thus the measure of what is everywhere called and esteemed virtue and vice is the approbation or dislike, praise or blame, which, by a secret and tacit consent, establishes itself in the several societies, tribes, and clubs of men in the world whereby several actions come to find credit or disgrace amongst them according to the judgment maxims or fashion of that place for though men uniting into politic societies they have resigned up to the public the disposing of all their force so that they cannot employ it against any fellow citizens any further than the law of the country directs yet they retain still the power of thinking well or ill approving or disapproving of the actions of those whom they live amongst, and converse with, and by this approbation and dislike they establish amongst themselves what they will call virtue and vice. Number 11. The measure that men commonly apply to determine what they call virtue and vice. That this is the common measure of virtue and vice will appear to any one who considers that, though that passes for wise in one country, which is counted a virtue, or at least not wise in another, yet everywhere virtue and praise, wise and blame, go together. Virtue is everywhere, that which is thought praiseworthy, and nothing else but that which has the allowance of public esteem is called virtue virtue and praise are so united that they are often by the same name sun sua premia laudi says virgil and so nihil abet, natura presentantius quam honestatum quam laudem quam dignitatum quam decus which he tells you are all names for the same thing This is the language of the heathen philosophers, who well understood wherein their notions of virtue and vice consisted, and though perhaps by the different temper, education, fashion, maxims, or interest of different sorts of men, it fell out that what was thought praiseworthy in one place escaped not censure in another, and so in different societies virtues and vices were changed, yet as to the main they are not the most part kept the same everywhere for since nothing can be more natural than to encourage with esteem and reputation that wherein everyone finds his advantage and to blame and discountenance the contrary it is no wonder that esteem and discredit virtue and vice should in a great measure everywhere correspond with the unchangeable rule of right and wrong which the law of God hath established, there being nothing that so directly and visible secures and advances the general good of mankind in this world as obedience to the laws He hath set them, and nothing that breeds such mischiefs and confusion as the neglect of them, and therefore men, without renouncing all sense and reason and their own interest, which they are so constantly true to could not generally mistake in placing their commendation and blame on that side that really deserved it not nay even those men whose practice was otherwise failed not to give their approbation right few being depraved to that degree as not to condemn at least in others the faults they themselves were guilty of whereby even in the corruption of manners the true boundaries of the laws of nature which ought to be the rule of virtue and vice were pretty well preferred so that even the exhortations of inspired teachers have not feared to appeal to common repute whatsoever is lovely whatsoever is of good report if there be any virtue if there be any prize etc philip 4 8 number twelve its enforcement is commendation and discredit if any one shall imagine that i forgot my own notion of a law when i make the law whereby men judge of virtue and vice to be nothing else but the consent of private men who have not authority enough to make a law especially wanting that which is so necessary and essential to a law a power to enforce it i think i may say that he who imagines commendation and disgrace not to be the strong motives to men to accommodate themselves to the opinions and rules of those with whom they converse seems little skill in the nature or history of mankind the greatest part whereof we shall find to govern themselves chiefly if not solely by this law of fashion and so they do that which keeps them in reputation with their company Little regard the laws of God or the magistrate. The penalties that attend the breach of God's laws, some, nay perhaps most men, seldom seriously reflect on, and amongst those that do, many, whilst they break the law, entertain thoughts of future reconciliation and making their peace for such breaches. And as to the punishments due from the law of the commonwealth, they frequently flatter themselves in the hopes of impunity but no man escapes the punishment of the censure and dislike who offends against the fashion and opinion of the company he keeps and would recommend himself to. nor is there one of ten thousand who is stiff and insensible enough to bear up under the constant dislike and condemnation of his own club He must be of a strange and unusual constitution, who can content himself to live in constant disgrace and disrepute with his own particular society. Solitude many men have sought, and been reconciled to, but nobody that has the least thought or sense of a man about him can live in society under the constant dislike and ill opinion of his familiars, and those he converses with. This is a burden too heavy for human sufferance, and he must be made up of irreconcilable contradictions, who can take the pleasure in company, and yet be insensible of contempt and disgrace from his companions. Number 13. These three laws the rule of moral good and evil. These three then, first, the law of God, secondly, the law of politic societies, Thirdly, the law of fashion or private censure are those to which men variously compare their actions and it is by their conformity to one of these laws that they take their measures when they would judge of their moral rectitude and denominate their actions good or bad. Number 14. Morality is the relation of voluntary actions to these rules. Whether the rule to which as to be a touchstone, we bring our voluntary actions to examine them by and try their goodness, and accordingly to name them, which is as it were the mark of the value we set upon them, whether I say we take that rule from the fashion of the country or the will of the law-maker, the mind is easily able to observe the relation any action hath to it and to judge whether the action agrees or disagrees with the rule and so hath a notion of moral goodness or evil which is either conformity or not conformity of any action to that rule and therefore is often called moral rectitude this rule being nothing but a collection of several simple ideas the conformity thereto is but so ordering the action that the simple ideas belonging to it may correspond to those which the law requires, and thus we see how moral beings and notions are founded on and terminated in. These simple ideas we have received from sensation or reflection. For example, let us consider the complex idea we signify by the word murder, and when we have taken it asunder and examined all the particulars, we shall find them to amount to a collection of simple ideas derived from reflection or sensation, namely, first, from reflection, on the operations of our own minds, we have the ideas of willing, considering, purposing beforehand, malice, or wishing ill to another, and also of life, or perception, and self-motion. Secondly, from sensation, we have the collection of those simple ideas, which are to be found in a man, and of some action whereby we put an end to the perception and motion in the man all which simple ideas are comprehended in the word murder this collection of simple ideas being found by me to agree or disagree with the esteem of the country i have been bred in and to be held by most men that worthy praise or blame i call the action virtuous and vicious if i have the will of a supreme invisible lawgiver for my rule then as i suppose the action commanded or forbidden by god i call it good or evil sin or duty and if i compare it to the civil law the rule made by the legislative power of the country i call it lawful or unlawful a crime or no crime so that whensoever we take the rule of moral actions or by what standard soever we frame in our minds the idea of virtues or vices, they consist only, and are made up of collection of simple ideas, which we originally received from sense or reflection, and their rectitude or obliquity consists in agreement or disagreement with those patterns prescribed by some law. Number 15. Moral actions may be regarded with absolutely Or as ideas of relation. To conceive rightly of moral actions, we must take notice of them under this twofold consideration. First, as they are in themselves, each made up of such a collection of simple ideas, thus drunkenness or lying, signifies such or such a collection of simple ideas, which I call mixed modes. And in this sense, they are as much positive absolute ideas as the drinking of a horse or speaking of a parrot secondly our actions are considered as good bad or indifferent and in this respect they are relative it being their conformity to or disagreement with some rule that makes them to be regular or irregular good or bad and so as far as they are compared with a rule and thereupon denominated they come under relation Thus the challenging and fighting with a man, as it is a certain positive mode, or particular sort of action by particular ideas, distinguished from all others, is called duelling. which, when considered in relation to the law of God, will deserve the name of sin, to the law of fashion, in some countries, valour and virtue, and to the municipal laws of some governments, a capital crime. In this case, when the positive mode has one name, and another name as it stands in relation to the law, the distinction may as easily be observed as it is in substances, where one name, for example, man, is used to signify the thing, another, for example, father, to signify the relation. Number sixteen, the denominations of actions often mislead us. But because very frequently the positive idea of the action and its moral relation are comprehended together under one name, and the same word made use of to express both the mode or action and its moral rectitude or obliquity, therefore the relation itself is less taken notice of, and there is often no distinction made between the positive idea of the action and the reference it has to a rule. By which the confusion of those two distinct considerations under one term. Those who yield too easily to the impression of sounds and are forward to take name for things are often misled in their judgment of actions. Thus, the taking from another what is his without his knowledge or allowance is properly called stealing, but that name being commonly understood to signify also the moral gravity of the action and to denote its contrariety to the law men are apt to condemn whatever they hear called stealing as an ill action disagreeing with the rule of right and yet the private taking away his sword from a madman to prevent his doing mischief though it be properly denominated stealing as the name for such a mixed mode it when compared to the law of God, and considered in its relation to the supreme rule, it is no sin or transgression, though the name stealing ordinarily carries such an intimation with it. Number 17. Relations innumerable, and only the most considerable here mentioned, and thus much for the relations of human actions to law, which therefore I call moral relations. It would make a volume to go over all sorts of relations. It is not, therefore, to be expected that I should here mention them all. It suffices to our present purpose to show by these what the ideas are we have of this comprehensive consideration called relation, which is so various and the occasion of it so many, as many as there can be of comparing things one to another that it is not very easy to reduce it to rules or under just heads. Those I have mentioned, I think, are some of the most considerable, and such as may serve to let us see from whence we get our ideas of relations and wherein they are founded. But before I quit this argument, from what has been said, give me leave to observe. Number 18. All relations terminate in simple ideas. First, that it is evident that all relation terminates in, and is ultimately founded on, those simple ideas we got from sensation or reflection, so that all we have in our thoughts ourselves, if we think of anything, or have any meaning, or would signify to others, when we use the word standing for relations, is nothing but some simple ideas, or collection of simple ideas, compared one with another. This is so manifest in that sort called proportional, that nothing can be more. For when a man says, Honey is sweeter than wax, it is plain that his thoughts in the relation terminate in this simple idea, sweetness, which is equally true of all the rest, though where they are compounded or decompounded, The simple ideas they are made up of are, perhaps, seldom taken notice of, for example, when the word father is mentioned, first, there is meant that particular species or collective idea signified by the word man, secondly, those sensible simple ideas signified by the word generation, and thirdly, the effects of it and all the simple ideas signified by the word child. So the word friend, being taken for a man who loves, and is ready to do good to another, has all the following ideas to the making of it up. First, all the simple ideas, comprehended in the word man or intelligent being. Secondly, the idea of love. Thirdly, the idea of readiness or disposition. Fourthly, the idea of action, which is any kind of thought or motion Fifthly, the idea of good, which signifies anything that may advance his happiness and terminates at last, if examined, in particular simple ideas, of which the word good in general signifies any one. but if removed from all simple ideas, quite, it signifies nothing at all, and thus also all moral words terminate at last. Though perhaps more remotely, in a collection of simple ideas, the immediate signification of relative words, being very often other supposed known relations, which, if traced one to another, still end in simple ideas. Number 19. We have ordinarily as clear a notion of the relation as of the simple ideas in things on which it is founded. Secondly, that in relations, we have for the most part, if not always, as clear a notion of the relation as we have of those simple ideas wherein it is founded. Agreement or disagreement, whereon relation depends, being things whereof we have commonly as clear ideas as of any other whatsoever, it being but the distinguishing simple ideas Or their degrees one from another, without which we could have no distinct knowledge at all. For if I have a clear idea of sweetness, light, or extension, I have two of equal or more or less of each of these. If I know that it is for one man to be born of a woman, for example, Sempronia, I know that what it is for another man to be born of the same woman sempronia and so have a clear notion of brothers as of births and perhaps clearer for it i believed that sempronia digged titus out of the parsley bed as they used to tell children and thereby became his mother and that afterwards in the same manner she digged Caius out of the parsley bed i has as clear a notion of the relation of the brothers between them as it i had all the skill of a midwife the notion that the same woman contributed as mother equally to their births though i were ignorant or mistaken in the manner of it being that on which i grounded the relation and that they agreed in the circumstance of birth let it be what it will the comparing them then in their descent From the same person without knowing the particular circumstances of that descent is enough to form my notion of their having or not having the relation of brothers but though the ideas of particular relations are capable of being as clear and distinct in minds of those who will duly consider them as those of mixed modes and more determinate than those of substances yet the names belonging to the relation are often of as doubtful and uncertain signification as those of substances or mixed modes and much more than those of simple ideas because relative words being the mark of this comparison which is made only by men's thoughts and is an idea only in men's minds men frequently apply them to different comparisons of things according to their own imaginations which not always correspond with those of others, using the same name. Number 20. The notion of relation is the same whether the rule any action is compared to be true or false. Thirdly, that in these I call moral relations, I have a true notion of relation by comparing the action with the rule, whether the rule be true or false. For if I measure anything by a yard, I know whether the thing I measure be longer or shorter than that supposed yard, though perhaps the yard I measure by be not exactly the standard, which indeed is another inquiry. For though the rule be erroneous and I mistaken in it, yet the agreement or disagreement observable in that which I compare with makes me perceive the relation, though, measuring by a wrong rule, I shall thereby be brought to judge amiss. Of its moral rectitude, because I have tried it by that which is not the true rule, yet I am not mistaken in the relation which that action bears to that rule I compare it to, which is agreement or disagreement. End of section thirty five. Recording by Lambda.